Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact or donate. Previous guests on the show have included Brian Sims, Kath Livesey, and Noah Kay. Go back and listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Scott Rodin. Over the past 38 years, Scott has helped hundreds of organizations improve their effectiveness in leadership, fund development, strategic planning, and board development. He is the senior consultant and chief strategy officer for the Focus Group. Scott and I have a really great conversation about stewarding everything God has entrusted to us and living faithful lives in the kingdom of God. I loved our conversation, and I know you will too. So here's Scott. Scott, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited for you to be here. So thanks for coming. Thank you, Joshua. It's great to be here with you and your listeners. Yeah, I'd love to hear your story uh, and your journey towards really stewarding what we have in the kingdom of God and your journey towards that. Wow. Well, I can I can make this very long or very short. I'd love to decide how far I want to go back <laughs> in this journey. Yeah, um, go go for it. Go back as long as you want. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, I think really this started with me back when I first slid into the world of Christian fundraising. Mm. And I say slid into it because most of us that are in this field um, didn't go to college to become fundraisers. Yeah. So we, we came to it from something else. I was in marketing and came into it and began working with a Christian international relief and development organization in Seattle. Um, and I came into it not knowing a thing about fundraising, but I uh, decided I would cut my teeth in this, was doing uh, big direct mail programs for them. Uh, and I began asking this question, uh, how, how should our Christian convictions and kingdom values inform the work I'm doing? Yeah. Because I assumed that if I was not in the secular world, if I was in, the, in, the, in God's kingdom, that, that value should have some impact on how I do my work. Well, honestly, nobody could answer the question. <laughs> and I got sent to wonderful seminars on how to do direct mail and all the rest of it. And I just kept coming back going, this is all great, but what, what's, so, what's Christian about the way we're doing this? Mm. And really got a lot of blank stares from wonderful people that had just never really thought about that and said, really, we should just do it the way everybody does it. But, you know, pray over it before it goes out. That's always a good thing. <laughs> and we'll put a Bible verse in it. Um, but other than that, it's really just fundraising is fundraising, right? Yeah. And uh, I never sat well with me, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I just did it for a while. And then I found that that, that approach, that, uh, if you will, a secular approach to raising money, um, after, a, after a few years, um, I began to really hate it. Yeah. And I thought, I, uh, if this is what this is about, if all this is about is figuring out a way to, to, to have you who have money give your money to us who need money, I, that does not just keep getting me up every morning. Uh, that's not that's not enough. Yep. Well, in the midst of all that, God called me to do some theological education. So I started a master's degree at uh, Fuller and then ended up going to taking our family to Scotland. And uh, we spent um, we spent uh, four years in Scotland and I did my PhD in systematic theology mm. in Scotland. When I came back, I thought that God would be calling me back home. But anyway, long story short, I ended up at a wonderful uh, seminary, Eastern Baptist Seminary in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I came back and I initially went back into a fundraising role. I was vice president for advancement for the seminary. Um, and now I had the same question, but I had some tools yeah. to start working on an answer. 
And it was about the same time, Joshua, that there were several other key people that had been thinking long and hard about this as well. And so we had some collegiality together and we began asking the question, if all we had was a blank piece of paper and the Bible, you know, and the values of the kingdom of God, yep. and we had to write a fundraising plan, what would that look like? Hmm. And we began coming up with some, with some pretty different answers than hmm. what I had been doing before for the last seven or eight or nine years before I went over to do my work. And that led to InterVarsity asking me to write a book called Stewards in the Kingdom. Yeah. And it was really yeah. my attempt to write a biblical, theologically rich underpinning of this, this, this concept that we know of as the steward. What does it mean to see all of life as a steward and not an owner? And, you know, oh, it, it's, it's so rich throughout Scripture. It's such a powerful, central biblical theme. And yet, you know, we don't really talk about it a lot. Yeah. So that started me on my journey. And since 2000, the book came out in 2000, for the last 21 years, I have been writing, speaking, uh, preaching, doing everything I possibly can to unpack this understanding that if we really believe that God owns everything, it has a profound impact on the way in which we follow Jesus. Um, so that's that's what got me there. And everything, everything since then has really just been trying to walk that journey faithfully. Well, that's beautiful. And I think we're in a space and a time where we actually have to see what it actually looks like to live in and operate in God's kingdom in a fruitful way that it's not, you know, I love the fact that you didn't just take fundraising and just do it the way that everybody else does it um, and see, you know, pray over it and then see how it works. But you said here, there's a different way. There's a way that we get to walk in God's kingdom. What is that way that we could walk in God's kingdom uh, in the fundraising space or any other space that we are well, because probably most of your listeners aren't directly involved in fundraising, I'll, I'll maybe back it up at a, at a little bit bigger level. Um, but it is a oh, gosh. Let me let me let me see if I can get to it in this way because this yeah. is sort of the simple teaching. And I think if if your listeners get this, I think it'll help them begin doing some some personal reflection in this whole area. When we look at what happened in the Garden of Eden uh, between Genesis one two and then Genesis chapter three, there's such a clue here. For, for how we're supposed to live. Because in Genesis chapters one and two, we see this beautiful picture of how God created the world. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we write about this, we talk about this being, in a sense, one kingdom. There was one kingdom in Eden, right? There was one Lord, there was one allegiance, there was one owner of all things. Yep. And Adam and Eve were simply supposed to just love the owner and take care of what the owner had given them, right? Put them in the garden, tend it, take care of it. Uh, all those, all the wonderful commands that we hear that come out of Genesis 1 and 2. It's this picture of one kingdom living, which really is God's intent for us, that he is the Lord of everything. Yep. Well, Genesis 3 comes, and we see the fall. And if you listen carefully to what the enemy uh, uses, the tactics that the enemy uses to help Adam and Eve or to tempt Adam and Eve or to persuade them to begin to think in a very different way, he uses words and temptations, if you will, that play into our desire to be our own Lord, hmm. right? to be our own God. He said, in fact, he flat out yep. said, if you, you will be like God, you get to be the Lord. Well, if we get to be the Lord, then we have a kingdom and we're no longer one kingdom people. We are two kingdom people. Hmm. And so after the fall, I see this sense of a rise of a second kingdom where there's, there's part of our life that we like to control and own and put our hands around and say, this is mine. Yep. That begins our life as an owner. Um, and as we begin to live as an owner of all kinds of things, this isn't just about money. We can own our marriage. We can own our kids. We can own our reputation, our future, our health, our job, our identity, all kinds of things. And the enemy loves it. I mean, he'll just keep cheering us on as we want to own yeah. more and more and more and hang on to it. And, and Joshua, that's, that's where all of our stress and fear and anxiety I mean, everything that we yeah. face in life that robs us of the life God has for us, it comes out of this stuff that we're trying to hang on to and own and control. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got this beautiful picture of God's call for us to be one kingdom stewards, where we say it's all God's, we don't own any of it, and we freely just live as stewards, versus this two kingdom reality, where in the end, we just want to play the owner of our own stuff. Mm. And that that is the battle. I would I would put it to your listeners 
that every single one of us are battling with our second kingdom stuff. Yep. And the journey then, you asked the question about what does this look like? The journey, Jesus calls us daily on a journey to step off our throne and to surrender more and more and more of the stuff that we think we own. And of course, the irony thing is we don't own any of it anyway, but to, to give back to him what he already owns, right? Yep. Uh, and, and to walk this journey with Jesus of absolute total surrender mm. and faithfulness. And as we do, we get, to, we get to realize the abundant life that he came to give to us. That's the journey that we're calling people on, that of letting go and returning more and more, living more and more into this realization that we really are designed to be one kingdom people with only one Lord of our lives. Yeah. And I think the lordship of Jesus is so important that we know that he is Lord. He is the king of the kingdom. And so as we're walking into that kingdom, what does it look like for us to surrender, to open ourselves up, to say it is yours? I know that, uh, you know, I had a profound experience in my life uh, when I was uh, living in South Korea. I was teaching English, working for a church, and I finally got on my knees. I was probably 30. Um, I was right around 30. I got on my knees. I finally said, Jesus, you could be Lord now. Okay. I was doing a lot of things for you. I was trying to control the situation. I was trying to say, hey, look what I'm doing. I'm doing some really good things for you. But as soon as I actually made that declaration and I surrendered and said, Jesus, you are Lord, my life completely transformed. Um, and it's a, it's a long journey towards continually doing that. Um, what are steps for us, for your, you know, the people that you're working with uh, to really surrender themselves, to make Jesus Lord? What are the, some of the things that we need to do to be able to do that? Yeah, wow. Well, first, thanks for sharing your testimony, because we all know that that movement from Jesus as Savior to Jesus as Lord mm. is so profound. It's yep. just so profound. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, well, I think one of the first things is to name those things in our second kingdom. Um, you know, we, we begin to rob the enemy of his power to inflict you know, war on us, if you will. Yep. When we name the things and we're honest with it, and as we name them, we can repent of them and we can turn them over. Yeah. And so one of the, when we do seminars and workshops, we're con constantly asking people, you know, write down for yourself, name those things in your second kingdom. And I tell people that if you don't think you have anything in your second kingdom, then ask your spouse. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll tell you or ask your kids. <laughs> They'll tell you. Um, we got all kinds of stuff in our second kingdom. And the more deeply we begin to really get inside of our spirit, I think when the Holy Spirit begins to open our eyes up and we look at things, we go, my gosh, I'm really, I mean, I literally, I, you can own, Joshua, you can own your relationship to God. You yeah. can take an ownership attitude when you say, well, God's kind of got to do things on my timeline. Um, I'll spend time with God when I have time, when it's convenient for me, um, that, that God has to be fit into our kind of life the way we, we want him to fit into our life. That's an ownership attitude. Yeah. Um, so every part of our life is open to the sense of ownership. We have to name it, mm. then we have to pray against it and ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit, piece by piece, to, to take it off. I, the way that we talk about this when we teach it is it's like, it's like having heavy chains wrapped around you yeah. and buckled on you. Every one of those things you hang on to, the enemy puts this big chain on you. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're feeling heavy and weighed down and and discouraged or whatever, it's because they've got the weight of all these chains on us. Yeah. Uh, so one by one, we name them and we unlock the key and we drop them the side of the road mm -hmm. and walk a little better, a little cleaner, a little, high, little, little lighter in our feet. Um, yeah. And that's the process. I think it's a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. But there's victory. Oh, there's such victory. There's there's victory and there's freedom that come from this. So it's honest reflection. It's naming. It's surrendering. And it's letting God do our, the work in us he wants to do. Yeah. So And then how can we integrate that into all of our life to make it holistic and not just, um, hey, this is our, our Sunday living and then the rest of the week we just do what we want. But how do we integrate this to make it holistic? It's a, it's a whole worldview. And that you, you talk about the transformation that happened for you when Jesus really became Lord. Yeah. It happened for me when I really realized that um, this concept of being a steward, it is the rule of life. It, is, it, it encompasses everything. Yeah. And so um, there's a couple of little things I encourage people to do. Uh, when, you wake, when we wake up in the morning, 
Uh, you know, we all have we all have laptops, we all have computers, and we know that when you open up your computer, it takes a few seconds, depending on how good your computer is or how new it is. Um, and and in in booting up in the morning, your computer goes in and it pulls all the files, all the apps, everything that was open, and within a few seconds, it it is right where it was when you shut it off the night before. Right, everything is right there, just like it was the night yeah. before. Uh, well, our brains do the same thing. When we wake up in the morning and we kind of open our eyes and we get a little sense of, okay, where am I and what day is it? It takes a nanosecond, right? For our brains to all of a sudden boot up and all the anxiety, everything we went to bed with last night, everything that was on our brains and our hearts, it's right there in front of us. Boom, right there. Mm. And if we have cares for the day, if we have challenges, if we have the hurts from yesterday, all the stuff that comes with it, it boots up right in front of us. The question is, Joshua, what are we going to do with it at that yeah. moment? And I'm talking about laying in bed. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking before you get out of bed, this has yeah. happened to you. Um, and as we lay there, I really encourage people to just say this very simple prayer that as you look at everything that's there in front of you now, the whole breadth of it, and include it all to start your day by saying, okay, Lord, it's all yours. This is all yours. I don't own. I, I I lay no claim to own any of this. Yeah. All you've called me to do is to be a steward of all the things you put in front of me, which means faithfully interacting with people, managing finances, doing my job, whatever the case might be. Do it faithfully and trust God for the rest, because mm. He's the ultimate owner. Wow. And I think people will find in that a real sense of deep breath freedom. Before they even, their feet even hit the floor. Because once my feet hit the floor, I'm off and running and mentally I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And the enemy can come in and just start pounding me with anxiety and stress and concern and doubts and fears and all the other things. Before that even happens, just stop there and say, okay, Lord, this day is yours. I am yours. My life is yours. Every minute is yours. Help me to be faithful today Mm. in what you've given me. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do you have any practices that you do or you know of others that, that do throughout the day to to bring us back into our alignment with our purpose? So I have a little I like icons. I'm kind of a big icon guy because I just think they're they're good reminders to me of, of what goes on. So I have a strange little icon that I really strongly recommend if people are listening and they they have any inclination in this direction at all. This has been such a tool. I have literally hundreds of people that will write me and tell me how much this has meant to them. So here it is. Silliest thing you've ever heard. It's a it's a jar of dirt. Okay. Mm. So people go out and get a little mason jar, a little jelly jar, doesn't matter what it is, and go fill it with dirt and and put it on your desk, right where you can see it, or on your wherever it is, in your kitchen, wherever yeah. you spend the better part of your day. Take it to work with you, wherever you need to have it. And I said, why a jar of dirt? Well, here's that, here's what happens, Joshua. Here's why I love this jar of dirt. First of all, dirt reminds us um where we began. Mm-hmm. God formed humanity from the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. Made this little amount of dirt, breathed into it, and there was Adam. I tell uh, people, if you, like, if you like doing genealogies and tracing your genealogy back, if you go far enough, you get to dirt. <laughs> you all get to dirt eventually, because that's where it all started. So I look at the jar dirt and says, okay, that was my beginning. I started as dirt. And of course, we also know it's our end. Yeah. That in the end, you know, the worms win, and we all get turned back into loamy soil, at some point in time. And so on this earth, that jar of dirt tells me that is how I, it's how I began. And it's ultimately how I'm going to end. And here's the point. When I see that, and I think that dirt was my beginning and dirt was my end, what I say to myself is everything in between, everything in between, my beginning and my end, it's all God's. Yeah. It's all God's. Mm-hmm. So here's what's happened. I, I'm sitting on my laptop working away and I get an email that just sends me into a tailspin, you know, angry yeah. or frustrated or, or fearful or whatever, right? We all kind of get those every yeah. once in a while. Um, and I look at that and I'll stop and I'll look at the window and I'll start, you know, uh, cogitating on it and, and getting upset about it and thinking about what I'm going to say and what, how's this going to turn out? All the kinds of stuff that happens. And as I'm doing that, my eyes will go across and I'll hit that jar of dirt. And it's as if God says to me, well, Scott, I thought this was all mine. Mm. but what are you doing with it? And I, it, it literally every time will stop me. I'll go, Oh my goodness. You're right. Okay. Hold on. Let me reframe this. Let me come yeah. back. I'll say, okay, Lord, this problem is yours. 
Yep. This person is yours. The situation is yours. It's in your control. It's in your hands. I don't own it. You're not asking me to own it. So Lord, how would you have me steward this situation? Mm. What, would, what would faithfulness look like? And the cool thing, Joshua, is that's all he asks of us. Yeah. It's all he wants, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is. I don't think anywhere in scripture where it says, I want you to be faithful and do these five things. <laughs> no, it's just be faithful. Mm. And suddenly the fear goes away. The stress yeah. goes away. Take a deep breath. Go, okay, Lord, I'm going to steward this on your behalf. Trust you for the increase and be faithful. And it just reframes everything. Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions I have, I'm trying to get our, you know, my work as leading a missions agency here in the States, mm-hmm. one of the things I've been trying to do is trying to reframe our metrics um, mm-hmm. from results-based outcomes of numbers to faithfulness to what God has called us to. Um, and, and your work with, with organizations, nonprofits, um, what kind of metrics help us determine, are we actually stewarding the life that God has given us or whatever he has given us in this organization or our purpose on earth? Yeah, that is such a good question. And it's such an important question. And it's a question, frankly, that is a continuing open question. Yep. Because a lot a lot of people are asking that question and working with this paradigm and trying to figure out how do we rethink metrics yeah. in a truly one kingdom kind of way. Let me give you a couple of quick things that I'm we're working on that have been helpful. To me, I think 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9 is critical for us in thinking about our metrics. So 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. And he's, he's trying to let them know that it's not about them. It's about God, right? Mm-hmm. So he gives this little phrase, and we all know it. You know, I plant Apollos waters, Apollos being his colleague, yep. but God brings the increase. You know, neither neither those who plant or water are anything, but only God. However, there's a role in yeah. our planting and watering. Yep. Um, and so when I work with, especially I work with a lot of nonprofit boards that they're asking this question. And I say, I think, I think somewhere in here, the answer comes when we can define what planting and watering looks like, but also be able to draw the very clear line when it is our up, it now our, our obligation to let God bring the increase. Mm. You see, what happens so often is we want to not only measure planting and watering, but we want to measure the increase. Right. If yep. it were our increase. Uh, and the problem, of course, with that is if we think it's our increase, then we'll actually try to do the things to bring about the increase, which takes God completely out of the picture. Yeah. He doesn't need to show up. And and then in the end, if it's if it's successful, then who gets the glory? Right. Well, you get the glory. So yeah. we now plant water and do the increase. Of course, the other side of it is people who don't believe we even need to plant water will just sit back and wait and God will bring the increase. Well, neither right. one of those, right, are yeah. correct. So when we put metrics together, my question would be, how do you measure what it looks like to plant and water with excellence? Hmm. So take the fundraising field, for instance. We work yeah. with major gift officers, people who work with folks of wealth, you know, who can give significantly. Um, and we say to them, what is it that you can control? What are you obligated to? What's part of your job? Well, well, I need to do all kinds of things. I need to have really good numbers. I need to have a really good case. I need to be able to present what we're doing clearly and honestly with integrity. I need to build relationships with these people. I need to meet with them. I need to know, you know, I need to know what their passion is. I need to walk with them in their journey. And at the right time, I need to invite them and encourage them to pray about what God might have them do for our ministry, right? All those things. And we've got to do that really well, right? We've got to do it with excellence. But when I ask somebody, when I get to that point and I invite somebody to go to prayer, which is all we do, we don't ask, we don't solicit, right? We invite people to pray about their giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say to me, Scott, um, I, I see what the opportunity is. We love it. We're going to go away. We're going to pray. And what God puts on our hearts, you know, is, is how we're going to respond. Well, I think I planted and watered. Yeah. And I think I trust God for the increase, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I trust God for the increase. And I don't know what that increase is because that's God's work. That's right. not my work. And so when the money comes in, the challenge is, of course, we want to we want to say uh, we want to be able to measure our expectations of what that money might be. Yep. And to some degree within a range, I think we have to be fiscally responsible enough to, to kind of do that. Okay. Um, we can talk all about how to do that functionally, but the point is when they come back and they say, here's what God put on our hearts, here's what I'm going to give. Mm. We have to just praise God for it yeah, um, and, and let him, cause he just brought the increase. Yep. Uh, and so met- metrics ought to measure what we, what we're responsible for and what we control 
mm-hmm. in this, this process. And they ought to not necessarily measure what God does. I'll tell you yeah. another real quick example, our evangelism organizations. Evangelism organizations love to have things like, you know, next year we want to see 5,000 people come to Christ right. through what we do. Yeah. Well, that's all fine and good, but do we bring people to Christ? No, no, no. we don't. <laughs> we don't. What do we do? We plant and water. And what does yep. plant and water mean? Share the gospel clearly. Challenge people, call people, send them to prayer, do all the things we need to do. But in the end, the only reason anybody comes to Christ is because the Holy Spirit led them to do that. Yeah, exactly. So what do we measure? Well, let's measure what we do and let's measure it well. Let's trust God to bring the increase. So those are some of the metrics around that paradigm from from 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, I think are Mm. helpful. That's so helpful. What are we plant? What are we water? What are we measuring? What are we responsible for? And what is God responsible for? So as we're we're going through that process of those metrics and we're saying, okay, these are the things we're responsible for. How do we share that with all of our constituencies, all of our, our partners and major donors and just our prayer partners, um, people that walk with us. How do we share that in a way where it jo- they could join us in this process? Well, you ask hard questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we encourage, I'll talk, I'll start out with the fundraising side and then you can mm-hmm. extrapolate as much you want to the rest of the ministry. But we work with organizations to write a document that we call a theology of development. Mm. And that's, there's probably better terms for it, but that's just what we call it. Yeah. And it's basically um, our attempt to look at our organization and ask, what are those kingdom values? What are those mm-hmm. biblical principles that undergird the way we raise money? Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty robust document. We have a whole outline on how, how, what it, how it looks and, and all the rest. Uh, but when, when it's done, it, it really articulates all the things we've just been talking about and quite a few more. And not only does it guide the development department to say, okay, now this is how we're going to raise money. This, this, every, every decision we make has got to be filtered through this theological commitment that we made. It's kind of like a, a, a doctrine of faith, right? A faith yeah. statement from organization. Everything we do has yeah. got to be aligned with our statement of faith. Well, it's the same thing with this document. But then externally, we take a, uh, an executive summary, if you will, of this and send it out to all the giving partners out there. And say to them, when you when you're in a relationship with this ministry and 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 in a giving relationship, this is how we're going to treat you. This is this is why we're going to use the language that we use. This is how we're going to do invitations for you to give. Everything we do is going to be is going to be coming through this lens. Wow! And now people begin to kind of get it's a culture, a huge yep. cultural, event, and people begin to get it and understand it. And I think that's the first step is to mm-hmm. do what you do from a major set of biblical theological convictions that everybody can adhere to. Mm. Yeah. This morning we're we're doing some planning session, but one of the things that came up is the importance of of clear language of, Mm. you know, and so when we're speaking clearly, a lot of times we have definitions or things in our own minds that if we're saying uh, that word to another person, they have a different definition. Um, So as we're communicating out, how do we have clear language so that we can uh, be on the same page together. Well, yeah, again, another just right on question, Joshua, the um, uh, because language is so huge. If you, you know, you can't change culture until you change language. Yeah. Language will language is a tool for changing culture. When you have everybody's shifting to a new set of vocabulary, it's going to change the way you do things. And one of the things I love about this theology of, of development is it forces a re- an evaluation of the language that we use. And I'll just give you a few really stark examples. Um, I think the word donor is a non-biblical term mm. uh, because to me, you know, a donor is, is a one-way relationship. Yep. We like to joke and say, you know, blood banks are the only people that have really donors, right? It's yep. a one-way relationship. And so um, uh, it, we don't, we don't look at people out there as donors. They're, they're partners. Are they really partners in this ministry? Right. Well, if they're partners in the ministry, the challenge with saying, with calling somebody a partner is a partner implies a two-way relationship. Right. Which means I now need to not look at you as an ATM machine that somehow I got to figure out how to get money out of. Right. Yep. But you're now a partner, which means I need to bring, I want to bring as much into this relationship and bless you as I pray God might move in your heart to bless the ministry. And all of a sudden, all of our fundraising work becomes deeply relational, two-way 
ministry relations, all kinds of ways we could go down that road. We don't need to right now. But that's that's one way in which language. So just by changing from uh, from uh, donor to partner, moving from major donors, I don't think there's such thing as a major donor. I think we have partners who give major gifts. Yep. Because there's a gift that's major because it's a large gift, yeah. but there's still partners. And so we have partners that give major gifts. That's another kind of nomenclature that we change. As I said, we don't do solicitations or asks. We do invitations. Mm. Um, one of the things that comes out of kind of a shocking thing that comes, I think, out of a theology of development is we always get to this point and people finally buy it. But when they first see it, it kind of shocks them. And that's the fact that I think done well, that God is the only fundraiser at our organization. Yeah, we don't. We don't employ fundraisers, right? Because if, if we believe that people give by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, if that's mm. really how we believe, then the Holy Spirit is the fundraiser. Yeah. That if any money comes, it's because God moved in somebody's hearts. Mm. So let's let him be the fundraiser and let's do the other things that we need to do. And now maybe you change the, the title that you have of people. Right. Um, I think just talking differently and using different vocabulary with that whole relational piece is just huge because it, yeah. it just belies your your uh, your theology what you believe yeah that's so good uh, the power of language you know i'd love to shift a little bit and go into how does this stewardship principle in our life uh transform the community around us wow <laughs> yeah that's a big um, question so we could start yeah, to break it down that, as well but. no problem <laughs> Um, when, we, when we teach, you know, un, under when I talk about the book we wrote, uh, wrote in 2000 called Stewards in the Kingdom, um, what came out of that is this, this thing we call steward theology. And I gave you a little glimpse of it with the two kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But um, the other important component of that is that, you know, God created us for whole, meaningful relationships in four levels. You know, not yeah. a relationship with God, with ourself, mm-hmm. with our neighbor and with creation. Yep. We usually talk about three, but we always forget about ourselves. There's a huge sense yeah. in which he created us to understand who we are and have our identity wholly in, in God, right? Yeah. Uh, being children of God in Jesus Christ. Um, well, and you think about those four levels. When we really truly seek to become one kingdom people, all four of them are transformed. Mm-hmm. And on that third level is our relationship with our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is my relationship with my neighbor and my role in a community transformed when I become a steward? Well, I'm going to give you the short answer. There's a much longer answer we could do here, but let me give you the shorter answer. Um, When I'm living as an owner, I will tend to look at the people around me as a means to my end. Mm. Now that's not nefarious and that's not, you know, that's not some big, you know, awful motive there, but it's just our sinful nature. Yeah. I'll move into relationships, into friendships, into Bible studies, my church. Mm. In a sense, I'm walking around wondering how my needs can get met. Right. And that's my litmus test for relationships. And now if you're if you're a means, if you're helping me meet my ends and my agenda, then we're doing great. We're good friends. Everything yep. goes well. But as soon as it requires sacrifice and loss on my part, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden that's not so great. And I may move out of friendships. When we're able to step back and take a steward look at, at the people around us and really believe that every relationship we're in is a gift from God that he's called us to steward. Hmm. That changes dramatically my understanding of how I live with my neighbor and how I live in community. Yeah. Imagine sitting in church and looking around and saying, you know, these are relationships that, that God has called us to care for and to steward hmm. for him. And so how do I now go into them? All of a sudden my agenda is gone. I don't care. My, yeah. That's not about my agenda. It's uh, it's and it's about you know, it's about what is what does God want out of this relationship, mm. and how can I carefully take care of it as a caretaker because mm. it's a gift from God. And yeah, that's probably why I don't like networking meetings because everybody's coming in as an owner of saying, "How can I get my needs met?" Um, yep. And so I don't know. There's always been something that rubbed me the wrong way about networking meetings because it's all just pitching what we do yep. um, for our own means. So what then what would be the difference to go into maybe something like that, a networking meeting or something where you're you're starting to get to know somebody? How do we steward that relationship in a way where it's really not just about us getting our needs met, but having this holistic exchange of relationship? Yeah. Well, you remember before, Joshua, we were talking about um, the journey that Jesus has us on from being mm-hmm. two kingdom owners to one kingdom stewards. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope that all of your listeners will be able to re- to say to themselves, yeah, I'm on that journey. 
I mean, I, I need to go further maybe or deeper or whatever yeah. challenge today to kind of let go of some things and all, but I'm on that journey. Well, the, the, the next step for us to take is to say that everybody's on that journey. Hmm. And so when I interact with somebody, I can either look, and this is, uh, I won't go use the Luke thing here. Let me think what I'm going to do here. Um, I can either consider them in the, in the moment, in the static moment, mm-hmm. and ask, what do I get out of this? Or I can come into a new relationship and, and think in my mind, okay, God has you on a journey. Hmm. He wants you to be more faithful, joyful steward. He wants you to surrender more of your life to him. He wants to be your Lord of your life in a greater way. I know yeah. that about you. Because that's true of every follower of Jesus. Yeah. So now my question is, um, I wonder if God can use me to help you on your journey. Yeah. That's a, that's a perspective that if we would take into our relationships, <laughs> wouldn't that transform? Yeah. An awful way in which we're in relationship. Oh, yeah. Tremendously. I, I know. Show me, Lord, how can I bless? How can I challenge? How can I direct? What can I do that, that as, a, as a result of our friendship, Maybe, maybe you've just taken another step or two on that journey that Jesus has you on. Hmm. Wow, that's that's a whole different way of looking at people around me. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. You know, one of the things that I've been trying to learn, I think that God is inviting me into, is helping discover, helping others discover what God is already doing in and among their life Um in my relationship with them. And so I'm just uncovering what God is doing, his work, his leading, his prompting, and his, and so that we can start to see it because we often miss it because we're, we're caught in this little hamster wheel that we just see what's right in front of us. And so, you know, as you're, you're coaching and you're, you're interacting with others, how do you, how do you pull that out of see, seeing what God is unveiling, what God is doing um, and unveiling that? Yeah. Well, um, so one of the keys to this is that obviously we have to be on the journey as well. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the ways we pull it out sometimes is just to share a little bit about our journey. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's very uh, disarming when we're able to say, you know, boy, I, I got some second kingdom stuff that I'm, I'm hanging on to. And, um, you know, do you feel the same? Is it a challenge for you as well? I mean, I have a hard time letting go of, you know, and, and name them. When I speak yeah. publicly, I, you know, when I get to this point, I name a couple of mine. And I just yeah. say, man, here's where I'm struggling. Anybody have any room on your prayer card? Put me on it. Because this is where I hang on to. I hang on to time. I don't like to, I don't like to be, I, I own my time. I don't like to be a steward of my time. Because if you give your time over to God, he messes things up. Right. right? All of a sudden, you know, you're doing all kinds of stuff that you didn't plan to do. Right. Um, so I like, to, I like to be an owner of my time, and I get a lot of people nodding. Going, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that opens up a conversation. You know, how do we how do we journey together and help each other and encourage mm-hmm. each other as we go forward? So I think just being open and honest and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to be on the journey. We can't be sitting at, at a bench on the side of the road. Yeah. You know, we have to be going further with Jesus all the time in this whole idea of being a, a one kingdom person. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, in the fundraising realm, real quickly, when we teach people who meet with um, with you know people that, that have means or actually anybody when they're out talking with, with financial partners and they say the same thing how do we start this conversation i want my favorite question to ask somebody is um what tell me about what gives you the greatest joy in your giving hmm. and i found that there's so many people out there that have never connected joy with giving hmm. And I've had people say, I'm not sure I get much joy out of my giving. Well, that's a great place to start a conversation yeah. about what might have been that God loves a cheerful giver and how, where are you missing out on that joy of giving? And all of a sudden you're talking about all kinds of wonderful, rich things. And, and five minutes into it, they're sitting there thinking, nobody, no fundraiser has ever, ever talked about this before. We never have these conversations. <laughs> but now they've got their brochure out and they're showing right. me page and asking me what I might be able to do. And that we just have to help people talk about their journey, what God's doing. So there's a couple of things. That's so good. One's joy and giving. And so how do we, as you know, somebody that's, that's starting out their journey and stewarding what God has given them, how do, and starting out their journey in giving maybe, and mm-hmm. to become a cheerful giver, um, what are some, some ways that we can start to, to have a different mindset to give more generously? Yeah. Well, and it is a mindset, no question, Joshua. It's a huge mindset. I think we have to um, we have to start by deconstructing so much stuff that we've been taught. 
and I'm going to get myself in real trouble right now. So this is the part you may want to either edit out or whatever. But, um, I think one of the biggest challenges that keeps people from knowing joyful giving is the concept of the tithe, believe mm. it or not. Because yeah. if it's not taught correctly, and it's seldom have I ever heard that it is, it comes across like this. God wants 10% of your money. Yeah. Now, what you do with the other 90% is up to you. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care about that. He just give him his 10% and God's going to be happy. Well, I got to tell you, there's nothing more unbiblical than that teaching. Yeah. Because God does not want 10% of your money. He wants 100% right. of your money. He mm. wants it all. And if we're not willing to start by giving it all, then we're never going to know the joy of giving. So it's the shift, isn't it? The other, the other half of that is we have to have a profound trust that God will be our provider. Yeah. You see, if you believed, if you believed, I asked a question to somebody this, that um, if somebody came along and said, you know, I think you're a wonderful person. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm a billionaire. Okay. And I will write checks for anything you want to do. Hmm. Doesn't matter what you do. Anything you want to do, you go do it. I'll write checks. I'll cover anything you want to do. Well, it would change our life pretty dramatically, yeah. right? We'd be doing all, all kinds of different things like that. Uh, we wouldn't worry about it. And if somebody, if we wanted to give a whole bunch of money away, we'd give a whole bunch of money away because we, as soon as we gave it away, what would happen? He'd write us another check, right? right. And fill it yep. in that way. Well, we've got a God who says, give joyfully, give freely, yeah. trust me to be your provider, give according to the way I'm leading you. I mean, yeah. you don't do it irresponsibly, right? But if we go to God and we pray and say, Lord, would you have me do with your stuff? And he tells us we should just do it joyfully and trust that he'll provide all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I read that somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. um, so it's starting out by saying, Lord, this is all yours. None of this is mine. And the, the God that supplied this for me today will supply it for me tomorrow. So help me. What do you want me to do with your with what you have? Yeah. And then as he tells you, as you begin to open yourself up and you see opportunities, you, you give God's resources into God's work and you get to see that work be done. And you get to just be happy because you're blessed to be a part of that that whole transaction. Yeah, but it's all God's stuff. So we got to shift all that around and yeah. get out of this whole thing that I've got. I've got to give a piece of what's mine to the church. Mm. That that is such a terrible paradigm. It's a two yeah. kingdom paradigm. It is, and, and we just we we perpetuate a two kingdom paradigm yeah. when we stand up at church in the morning and ask people to give ten percent of what is theirs to God. As soon as we say that, we are out of the Bible. That is mm. not what the Bible says. That's so uh, good. What he asked the rich young ruler, right? He said, sell everything you have, give to the poor and come follow me. Yeah. And you'll have treasures in heaven. And and he was, he, he was serious. No. And, and, and God, and, and Jesus didn't say, now I'm just speaking metaphorically. Okay. Don't, right. don't take this pill. I mean, no, he said it, right? Yeah. Um, it's all God's. And until it's all God's, we'll never know the joy of taking God's resources and putting into God's work for God's glory. Yeah. It's got to start there. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. I really want to hit on one thing. Um, I was having a conversation with uh, with somebody last month or so, and they were talking about the the concepts of, of servant leadership. And we talk a lot about servant leadership in the church. And they said it doesn't uh, it doesn't do it for them. And they so they talked a little bit about. I think we need to do something like steward leadership. And so they use the word steward leadership. I don't think that they've read uh, your work, but. They were talking about steward leadership, um, and that's the place. They, they wanted to try – they're starting to try and unpack that for themselves and the difference between servant leadership and steward leadership. Um, what is it for you? What is that difference, and how can we unpack that a little bit more? Wow. wow. Again, that's, a, that's just right on. Let me, let me, I'd love to unpack that. Let's do that. I'll do that yeah. as briefly as I can. But we've been writing, speaking, teaching, and training steward leaders now for about uh, 13 years. Um, InterVarsity asked me to come back 10 years later and write uh, The Steward Leader. Hmm. So in 2010, we InterVarsity published The Steward Leader, and now we've been kind of working from that through all kinds of different resources that are out there. Um, and one of the things I do in that book, in fact, in the second chapter of that book, is I actually contrast steward leader with servant leader. So it's a very good and important yeah. question. And, you know, I, I, I'm a I, you know, servant leadership is great. I'm not going to say anything negative about it, but there's a difference between servant leader and steward leader. And here's what I believe it is. In the, when, we, when we hear people talk and teach about being a servant leader, the idea is, is that if you operate as a servant, you will be a better leader. Hmm. But in some sense, it's a, it's a, it's a technique. 
right? Mm. It's a means that the best leaders are good servants. So if you want to be a good leader, be a good servant. And as a servant, um, or if you lead as a servant, right? Listen to this. If you lead as a servant, then you'll be a good leader. So it's kind of tied to this this technique kind of thing. Um, What it doesn't often do is, is challenge us to transform our entire lives to see all of life from the standpoint of being a servant. That's a different thing. Hmm. And that's what we do when we talk about being a steward leader. When we talk about uh, the whole concept of steward leadership, it doesn't start out with leadership. It starts out with our own personal journey that we just talked about for the last 45 minutes, Joshua. That is, we're on this journey of being a more fully surrendered, faithful, godly steward of life. And then God calls us while we're on that journey into a leadership role we will bring into that leadership role those same values, that same worldview. And now I'll look out and I'll say, these aren't my people. This isn't my budget. This isn't my company. This isn't my church. These aren't my congregants. You know, this isn't my nonprofit. This isn't my board. These aren't my donors. These aren't my, I mean, every, all the stuff out there that we want to grab a hold of. And the other, another big thing is it is the, the presidency is not my identity. Pastor is not my identity. Uh, my identity is in Christ. All those kind of things. When we, come into our leadership role and can say, this is all God's. And I'm, he's called me to steward this for a period of time, for a season. And I just want to do it faithfully. What's happened is, is that the transformation that started in our heart, in our spirit is now lived out in the way in which we lead. And I think that's why being a steward leader is so transformational, not only for you, but for all the people around you. Yeah, I, I could see it. I love it. That was, that was good. That was so good. So thank you. And I think, you know, as you were starting to unpack that, it was just, you know, briefly, you know, people could start to dive deeper. How can people dive deeper into the steward leadership journey? Well, um, we obviously have resources. So if they're interested, uh, we have a website called thestewardsjourney.com. Yeah. And there's a lot of resources there. There's I blog every week. We have books and, and um uh, video courses and all kinds of other things like that. I would say go to scripture and just begin reading scripture through this lens of what does it mean that, that God asks us to, you know, to, to give everything to him and one Lordship and, uh, and see where scripture might be speaking brand new to you in a way that you've never thought about that before. Um, and then examine your life and your leadership and find those places where the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside and begin to open your eyes to things yeah. and say, oh, my goodness, I never saw that. I never realized that I was a leader. I mean, that I was an owner in this one particular place. Right. And I'll tell you, uh, Joshua, uh, um, owner leadership is one of the things that's killing the church hmm. because we have got pastors and nonprofit leaders out there that are looking at their role as an owner. They have boards that are telling them that they're supposed to be owners and make it happen. Right. Yeah. It's up to you to make it happen. Um, and it's burning them out. And it's, I think the reasons we're seeing leadership failures mm. is because leaders are coming into this with, with the role that it's all on me and I've got to make this happen um, instead of seeing it as, as a steward, which is freeing people up to really understand the joy of what it means to be a leader. So look at the places in your life that are causing you fear and stress and anxiety and start weeding them out, um, putting them before the Holy Spirit and, and find some people to journey with you. You know, I think one of the best things, if you can find two or three people that are that have read some of this stuff or are kind of wanting to see what this looks like journey together mm. and, and, it's, and, it's, and reinforce and help each other. It's a funny thing. Sometimes when we have uh, development teams that have really gotten this, I mean, they've re- yeah. this is how they do their work the, I've actually sat in meetings where all of a sudden somebody will make a comment and somebody else will say, well, that's a pretty two kingdom worldview. <laughs> go, oh my gosh, you're right. That's a total two kingdom ownership comment. I'm sorry. And then they'll go back and they'll redo it because yeah. now they hear it right? Mm, they're, yeah. they're tuned to it. And you yeah. can do it in your marriage. If you want your marriage to be a steward marriage, mm. where you really steward each other's hearts, um, you'll begin to find all the language that you've been using that all talk about ownership. Mm. Uh, it goes on and on and on. So I would just yeah. say, journey with some people, um, read scripture with this fresh new lens, let the Holy Spirit work in you to find those places where you're living in two kingdoms and expect God to do great things. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Um, just a couple of really quick questions at the end. One, it, I mean, it could be really quick, but this first one could dive deeper, but it could be quick. What's uh, if you could go back to your 21 year old self, what advice would you give? Oh, easy. Very <laughs> easy. 
that easy. I would tell myself one piece of advice. I would say, Scott, be careful how you define success because it will drive everything you do. Mm. That's so you know, good. I'm just I turned 65 and I'm realizing that I look back that the definition of success in life that we hold in our minds drives everything yeah. that we do. And if my success is around what I own, what I have, what I possess, what I achieve, what I accomplish, all the rest of it, that's going to drive me as it's driving so many people. Um, and I wish I was, somebody would have helped me see the lens, have that lens of a steward mm. and say, success in your life is simply to be faithful yeah. and to be a good steward of what God has given you. It would have dramatically changed my journey, you know, up until the time that I finally did kind of see this as, as yeah. what success is all about. So. That, that would be my piece of advice. Great. And anything you've been reading or watching lately that you, that you could recommend? Wow. Um, yeah, again, uh, there's a document out that's just been published called the Steward Declaration. Mm -hmm. And I would really love to have people look at that and engage with that. It's a bit of a throwing down the gauntlet, if you will, for those of us that have been working in this for a long time. It's about four, 14 or 15 of us put this together. And um, I'm just praying that as an impact, that people will, will wrestle with this and simply thestewarddeclaration.com. And people can go on and can look at it. They can, they can sign it. They can send it, whatever. But, um, but I hope that's a challenge and a blessing to people. Yeah. That would be top of mind right now. Great. Love it. So, Scott, anything else that uh, you want people to know or connect with you? No, this has been really robust and the questions were awesome. This is just right at the very core of what we what we believe and uh, and what we hope for people. And, um, you know, the uh, Jesus came that he said, I came that you may have life and have it in all of its fullness. Mm, and yes. I really do believe that the more we live into this understanding of one kingdom, one Lord, uh, faithful stewards, that we can live and experience more and more what Jesus meant when he mm. gave us that promise. Well, Scott, thank you so much. This was a, a very rich conversation um, and it helping us grow into being one kingdom people and stewards of what God has given us. So thank you so much. Joshua, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.